Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I'm your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We are live at Awake Conference 2022, and my guest today is Dr. Tim Barber. Dr. Tim Barber, welcome to the program today. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Now, the thing about live is there's no takebacks. So, you know, as we go through here, I actually enjoy these because uh, of, you know, the, the stress of it is nice, I guess, but the, the things that come out as you're talking are just genuine and you know it was right there. Right. Here at conference, though, we have an option for those in the audience that are listening live. Just like the side stage sessions, if you have a question about what we're talking about as we go through, and today it's all about adverse childhood events, um, talking through what are they, how do they affect us, um, what was the through line of it for our whole story. Um, as we're talking about those, if you have a question, there's a number up on the screen. You can simply text that completely anonymous. We can't tell you where your number's coming from, what your name is, who you are. Very ominous. Uh, but you can send your message in there, and we'll get that to Dr. Barber to get his take on it. All right. So as we start here, you're an expert in, in your field, a licensed counselor. You also have a history as a pastor, um, lots of experience. And your specialty here in trauma things like that, you're well informed on adverse childhood events. But I would start off by just asking, so that we have a clear definition, what is an adverse childhood event? And then we'll follow it up with maybe why it's important to know. Okay, good question. Good place to start. Um, back in 1995, uh, the Center for Disease Control and Kaiser Permanente uh, started looking at the health of the general population and started thinking about what are the factors that make some people more susceptible to illness and um, behavioral problems, addictions, all sorts of things. And so they did a pretty massive study. They uh, interviewed 17,000 plus people. And they, they asked them 10 questions. And then they got history from them uh, with regard to uh, health issues and, and other kinds of things. Uh, so this has been around for a while. Uh, it is still a, a very helpful and important instrument to help get an idea of how is the past impacting a person in their adult life today. So as, as we're about to dive into this, if you're here in the audience and you want to get a hold of this, you can literally just Google ACE, A-C-E, score, um, and go online, Google it. You can, it's like eight questions long, ten. and you get ten, and you yep. get this uh, and a number that pops out. And we'll talk more in a moment what the significance of that score is and what it means. Is it predetermination of some catastrophic event in your life, or is there hope and things like that? So what are some of those questions that they may be asked? And I would also ask, should everyone take this, or can it be triggering, or what does that look like? The triggering piece is very important. Um, the reality is sometimes just answering these 10 questions brings up memories in past events. Uh, and uh, we, I always put a kind of a cautionary uh, word in there that if you know you have some pretty hurtful things in your past, uh, you go to that you know, ACEs questionnaire, uh, it would be good to have somebody on hand with you to process that with. You know, don't, don't, please don't do it alone. Uh, and it um, doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist. It can just be somebody who gives you good support and who's there for you to talk about things and maybe help you to... Um, take the next step in terms of how to deal with these issues. Um, so what kind of questions might I find? Because it sounds ominous now. We've set it up like, don't yeah. do this alone. This could be triggering. What kind of questions am I answering as I walk through that? The questions revolve around uh, essentially three different things. Uh, they, they look at uh, physical and sexual abuse. Uh, they look also at... Um, dysfunction within the household mm -hmm. and they also uh, look at neglect and uh, the, so um, I can 
elaborate a little further. I think I'd like to come back to it and circle back around a little further. There are different ways to understand the importance of each of those 10 questions. So some, uh, you know, if, it's, if this assessment were offered on a computer, it would probably calculate two or three of those questions having more weight and, and more importance. And, and I'd be glad to get into that now or, or later. Well, as, as we jump from that, what does my score mean? Because there's some, you know, we can talk about the different weights of it, but if I get it back, yay, I got a two or I got a four, mm. what does that actually mean for me mm -hmm. as I take that test, the A score? Well, there's actually, uh, uh, you know, looking at cause and effect is, is a really tough thing to pin down, but there's a very strong correlation in the, the higher your ACEs score, meaning of those 10 questions, you may have answered five, six, seven. Uh, I've been using this for, goodness, 20 plus years. Uh, I've never had a 10. Uh, I've, had, I've had a few nines. Um, but the higher the score, the more likely you're going to have uh, physical things, or a chronic pulmonary disease, um, high blood pressure, um, just, I mean, just kind of go down the list. It's even uh, at some points uh, by some people to say it has an impact upon cancer. So you've got the whole physical health thing. You've also got uh, the higher your ACEs score, the more likely there's going to be some anxiety or in particular depression. Uh, so it's an, I find it to be a, a very helpful tool in understanding uh, a couple of things, the nature of the traumatic things that have happened to you in the past, and also um, what are the next steps? You know, how do I begin to deal with these things and, and um, not be a statistic? So uh, yeah, and a lot of statistics behind it, especially when you start throwing around words like cancer or something like that, it actually could have, and then that leads me to a question because <clears throat> we've talked about things like the body keeps the score, things like that. Mm -hmm. What is the correlation between adverse childhood events and, and maybe how our bodies store trauma? Is that kind of the idea behind it or how does that work? I think it's probably going to work um, more with some of the questions than, than it does with some of the others. Uh, there's a question. I don't, have the, I don't have the questionnaire in front of me here. Uh, poor planning on my part. Um, <laughs> But uh, I know that there's a question there with regard to um, under the age of 18, did anyone hit you, slap you, yeah. punish you in, in those kinds of ways? Um, and, and so, you know, that weighs pretty heavily. Uh, and in terms of, the, of what it does internally with us, uh, we're getting into the realm of post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and and so I, here, here's the really frightening thing about this. We're looking at what's happening 18 years back to birth. Even at 18 years of age, our brain is still developing. The prefrontal cortex of the brain doesn't fully develop until about age 24. So if you have teenagers and they're doing all sorts of crazy things, they're working with half a brain, essentially, because, <laughs> because their uh, prefrontal cortex is not, not fully on board yet. Um, That's fully developed by 35, asking for a friend. <laughs> I, I question sometimes whether it's ever <laughs> developed, even within myself. Uh, it's emotional regulation, it's executive decision making, it's, it's those kind of things that the prefrontal cortex does. And uh, yeah, so, and we, there, this is a whole other podcast, but there are things that we could do uh, to help make sure we have better brain health. Uh, but um, in terms of the, how the impact of, of, of trauma uh, plays out, uh, the, brain, the brain's primary job is to keep us alive. It, it's going to, you know, it, and if we think about the, if we think about the most basic biological functions of the brain, it's telling our heart to beat and it's telling us to breathe. And it means so I don't have to sit here and think, okay, breathe, 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 heart beat, beat, beat. It's brain's taking care of that, okay? 
uh, walking, talking, and chewing, chewing up at the same time. That the brain is the brain is doing that. Uh, there's also all the emotional content that sometimes get kind of glammed onto um, events in our lives, uh, and, and the brain will create what we call neural pathways, uh, repeated patterns of thought, uh, repeated emotional responses to things uh, that were troublesome. Uh, so the brain is storing this information. So there's a couple of things. There's the body that body keeps the score, fabulous book if you haven't read it, um, that sometimes it really is in our body. And so people who have chronic um, back problems, neck problems, other kind of health problems, uh, it's not it's not outside the realm of possibility that the body is just kind of storing something up there in that particular place. Um, our, our trauma, the consequences of that trauma is going to come out one way or the other. It's going to come out. Uh, so uh, it really, the other key piece of the brain is that one of the things that we we rely upon the brain for is creating a reference point mm -hmm. that I, I look I can look at my life I, I have a sense of who I am uh, I have a sense of what's important to me who others are what's my relationship with others everything about that we develop this sort of framework that we often put under the category of our personality okay and what happens is that that framework that we develop is becomes very much like a filter or a lens and it's ever before us and we are, we are interpreting everything that we see hear, and do uh, through that lens and if that lens is populated with a lot of negative things or maybe just one really bad thing uh, that will shape how we see ourselves, it will shape how we see others in relationship, how we envision our future. I mean, it, it impacts just about everything about us. So really, just knowing your A score isn't necessarily going to change anything, except maybe your perspective and where to go next as a tool. Like, you can't, I know my A score, so now my relationships will all magically be better. Um, but there, there's another question that I want to ask. I, I hear the adverse childhood events, but Things that are traumatic don't just happen in childhood. So where's the AAE, the adverse adult event scale? Is that why just concentrate on children? Is there something special about children? You alluded to it with neuroplasticity and neuropathways, uh, mm -hmm. but why not adults too? Well, certainly traumatic events do impact adults. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I've, I've worked with clients who have post-traumatic stress disorder. Some of that occurred um, because they were in an automobile accident. Uh, and so you, you look at that and, and, uh, and see, okay, what are they telling themselves? How are they interpreting that event in their life? Are they blaming themselves? Are, are they now so anxious that they can't drive? Uh, you know, there's so certainly things in an adulthood will impact us negatively. But the key piece is what we were just talking about uh, before. The key piece for people 18 years and younger uh, is we are still developing, not only the brain is still developing, but we are still developing, who am I? What's my place in the world? Uh, how, do I, how do I function in the world? How do I deal with difficult relationships? How do I deal with difficult emotions? Uh, how do I deal with the memory of some of these things that have happened to me? And, and so um, our person, it impacts the very shaping of who we are as a person. And, and that's key, I think, because we are, you know, birth to 18, still putting the pieces together for that. So I have an undeveloped question in my head, which is very dangerous to do on a podcast and also dangerous to do live. But as you're saying that, and I'm hearing birth to 18, and we, we talk, I hear some counselors, uh, talk, Dr. Rick Butts talks about, I'm acting out of my teenage self right now, or mm -hmm. you know, I'm acting out of this area of my life. I hear sometimes people talk about, I'm stuck in this area, or I need to revisit this area of my childhood to work on that or reparent that. 
Can, is there a correlation adverse childhood events and, and maybe understanding or going back and reparenting that section or getting stuck or why do I act this way in this situation or when he says that I do this and I feel like my teenage self again what what is that correlation with the ACE scores and does that make sense with reparenting can you get stuck at, no. at some point of development absolutely yeah we can get stuck uh I'm just kind of follow back to what I just said a moment ago in terms of those those uh, traumatic events um, are going to to sort of leave a mark on us, and we um, we'll try to cope with them the best that we can. Again, the the primary job of the brain is to keep us alive, and so there are times when a child is going through very, very difficult situation in their home life or with babysitters or whatever it may be, uh, and uh, the brain is learning, wow, is this what life is about? Do I have to be fearful of every person I come into contact with? Can I trust anybody? Can I trust God? You know, these, these are basic fundamental questions that high high ACEs scores can point, push us in that direction. I'm not sure if that answers your question well, correctly. It, uh, it gets there. Let me ask you this, too. As I'm thinking through it, say I'm somebody that's listening, and I'm like, okay, I can see how maybe in my relationships I go back to it. I can totally see my teen self doing that, or I can totally see my 8-year-old self doing that. I'm not buying into it yet because it sounds a little Freudian and I'm not into that stuff. Whole, they are, mm, little weird. But if I were willing to walk into, I, I trust you, Dr. Barber, if I walk into your office and I say, I may be stuck at this developmental age or this developmental group, what does it look like to get unstuck? Is it like, are you going to swing a watch in front of my face and we go under <laughs> and then we figure this out? Or what does that look like to get unstuck? if there is an adverse childhood event that is dominating my life and my worldview. Yeah. Um, therapy is so important in, in, in working with this. This sounds like a commercial, and I don't mean it that way. Uh, but to talk, with a, to talk with a professional who has advanced training in working with trauma is by far the best way to go. Um, it's uh, you know these these events have shaped our lives, and they've they, they, even though we think oh they're you know twenty years, thirty years, fifty years by you know back, they leave a mark, and it's still there. And um, the whole thing of the inner child and the inner teenager and all those things. Um, there's a sense that um, one of the things we say is we're always every age we've ever been. So I'm still little Timmy. Uh, I'm still teenage Timmy. Uh, finally, when I graduated high school, went off to college, I, it was Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've arrived. I'm an adult. Um, but we're, you know, every once in a while, Somebody will say something or something will happen or just a memory pop into our mind of something either negative or positive that happened during my childhood. And it's kind of like I'm right back there again. And, and one of the things about the way the brain stores trauma, uh, it's a, kind of a right brain kind of function, which uh, is emotional. Uh, it's very closely tied to the body. Uh, and so when uh, those events from our childhood are, are triggered, then we just kind of go right back there, and it feels like we're reliving that. Uh, we can have the same emotions. We can have the same thoughts. Uh, we may re re even want to react just to that memory in the same way that we reacted earlier on. Uh, and so left untreated, we're, we're essentially often... Uh, not always, but often left to deal with the consequences of those negative events simply the, on, in the way that we did as a child. So we're using a child's mind to deal with what is now an adult problem.
yeah, I can't see how that would go bad at all. Yeah, if your right. six-year-old self is controlling the conversation with your spouse. I'll have to just throw a temper tantrum. <laughs> well, that explains a lot of things. I might have some work to do. I don't know. <laughs> so as you go in there, it sounds like they're going to be uh, helping you work through that, maybe reparenting, understanding. I, I know I went through some uh, a session where we actually went back and I talked to a version of myself. Very, very powerful mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And not in any way weird. It, it I thought it was going to be, but very powerful. Not weird at all. Small sidebar, we did have somebody message in. They said, confirming ACE or ACE scores is adverse childhood experiences, not events. Does that change the meaning slightly using experiences versus events? It does. Good question. Uh, an event is an event that we can look to and um, say, this happened. Uh, and, and so it's concrete, it's specific. What was the other phrase? They so it should be, as they're saying, adverse childhood experiences. Experiences, yes. yes. Um, to a large degree, anything that happens in our lives, whether we are consciously aware of this or not, the brain is making a judgment about, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? And so the experiences component of that, I often interpret as how am I responding to and experiencing the fact that these things occurred in my life? Uh, so I think the, the distinction is that the traumatic event is this is what happened. The experiences piece is my inner sense of understanding, you know, what does this mean? Well, and that goes back to big T, little t trauma, mm -hmm. and understanding it's not the event itself, it's what you experience from it. Yes. So, as you can, please send in those questions, even the clarifying ones. I would ask you this, as we're going through it, because I can see myself thinking, it. <coughs> are a scores prophetic? Is this some uh, predestination, oh, I've got, well, shucky darn, I've got a high A score, I guess my life is over, I don't mm -hmm. get any choice in this. Or are there ways to change the future of, you know, you, send, you mentioned people with nine, that's just compounding trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma, uh, predisposition, predisposition towards uh, addiction and, and bodily issues like cancer or diabetes, uh, life issues, relationship issues. Like, I could take this score and just be like, okay, well, this stinks. I wish I had never taken it because then I wouldn't know that my future is null and void. Right. So are ACE scores these uh, adverse childhood experiences prophetic or can I change the cycle? No, they are not prophetic. Uh, and yes, we can change. So that's the short answer. After a few years, uh, as this data was being rolled out and they were making correlations and a few search aces on the internet, you'll find tons of pages out there. And a lot of them have graphs that kind of coordinate age and events to the likelihood of negative consequences in your life. You know, that's helpful data. But as people were continuing to focus on uh, if you had six or seven yeses on your questionnaire, how vulnerable are you to some of these negative health consequences or mental health consequences or behavioral problems like addiction? And so that's where the graphs come into play. But some, I think, very intelligent and insightful people started looking at that data and said, wait a minute, everyone who had five or six or seven isn't doing these kind of things. They're healthy. They're, they're emotionally healthy. They're relationally healthy. What makes the difference between people who have these negative experiences in childhood and um, that plays out in adult life, somebody else standing right beside them, maybe even a sibling in the same home, mm. uh, has the same experiences, but they are healthy. What makes the difference? Two things. One is, um, what's the resilience level? Because some people have a higher level of resilience uh, that... Um, begins to help cope more effectively with those events in real time. And so obviously an infant or a toddler is probably not going to have a, a many um, 
you know, resilience, building skills. But as the child grows, if they've, if they've had some nurture and some instruction along the way, there's a pretty good chance they begin to develop some resiliency in their lives. And so, yeah, it hurts, but hey, when it hurts, here's what I do with it. And, and uh, they got, they've got a plan. They, they're working that plan, and so uh, they're not doomed to these negative consequences. The, the other piece of that is um, kind of came out of the same studies, but when we start, when I say we, I wasn't on the project, but I think mental health professionals were doing the survey, so I'm kind of... We'll give it to you. Well, I'll take it. So. <laughs> um, of those positive things, of the resiliency that determines the way that a person can react, um, what are the things that are most important? And one thing came to the surface more than anything else. Home life may have been horrible. It may not have been a healthy relationship between parent and child. Maybe there was incredible dysfunction, alcoholism, um, legal problems. One of the questions is, is, uh, you have a close family member who was imprisoned. Uh, You could have all that stuff going on and one person will handle it well, the other person will not. But if someone, an adult, comes in alongside that child, when these things are happening, and provides them a safe place to go to, a safe relationship, a connection that speaks truth and, and health into that child's life, they are much less likely uh, to live out all the negative consequences that are there. Which for me says, we really need to be, uh, especially in our churches and youth ministers, and but I think everybody, we really need to be about the business of understanding how trauma might impact some of the, the younger people in our, in our congregation, and making sure that they've got the opportunities to plug into a healthy group or to affiliate with someone, a youth minister or peer support or somebody who really is healthy, that they can get that support because the brain also develops neural pathways around healthy relationships. Well, yeah, whenever you, as a youth pastor or a lead pastor, and you see that teenager acting up, if you could just understand the event that happened to them a month ago, three years ago, you might understand how they're acting out now and why. And it's called trauma-informed care. But I also hear, we've talked about it a little bit this weekend, but I hear what you're saying about the importance of relationship and community and going all the way back to the beginning of time and of creation itself. God already had exemplified, we're made in his image, the Trinity, the importance of community um, uh, amongst and relationship there as made in his image already a need for that that community who knew god already knew from the beginning of time yes um so with this i would ask we've talked about the data we've talked about the negative aspects is there a positive score that i can look for maybe a positive uh event uh that i can maybe offset some things there is you have to go you have to search for it because it isn't as uh, prominent on the web but we like negative things. Facebook has trained us so well yeah. to love negative things, upvote, downvote. <laughs> okay. But there is a seven-question survey that looks at um, the positive childhood experiences. And uh, the higher, this is where you want a high score. You want a, a lot of, of positive things. Um, some of those are you know, feeling like you're able to talk to your family about feelings. Uh, a lot of parents, um, uh, they just don't do that well. Um, my father was born in 1918. My mother was born in 1915. Dad was in World War II. Uh, he came back after World War II. Uh, he got a job with the railroad, uh, which was you know, the, the building of the industrial mammoth here in America that, that really emerged post-World War II. Uh, we also lived on a farm, so he, he worked on the farm when he wasn't working. So as a young child, I had to be, if I wanted to be with Dad, I, I had to go out and work, you know, 
chop the weeds out of the corn or whatever and <laughs> usually chop down more corn than I did weeds. But if I wanted to be with Dad, that's, what I, that's where I had to go. But Dad didn't do emotions well. And I love him, and I think he was a tremendous father, but sometimes I say, it's about the most emotionally constipated person I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, he just did not know how uh, to express those emotions with, within a relationship. Uh, I think it was a happy home, I think, in a lot of regards. It was a safe home. Um, but, um, yeah, being able to go and share feelings with mom and dad, mm. No. Well, thank heavens they said yesterday that you only have to get some of this nurture, this attachment right, like 50% of the time. Yeah. But no, 49, you're, you're done. But 50, <laughs> 50, you're good. Yeah. So whoever makes up those statistics. We do have a, a question that came in. Uh, this person says, I took the ACE score almost three years ago. My score is a 10. Knowing the score actually helped me understand why I acted and reacted the way I did. Her question is, or their question is, is there a specific modality of counseling that is best to guide my healing, trauma-informed, EMDR, et cetera? Mm. What advice do you have for this person? Every person is different. Every person's story is different. And um, one of the things that I really like about counseling is it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of response. And so for some people, that might be cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, because we're dealing with the brain and a trauma brain, so to speak, uh, something that is able to access that becomes very, very important. And that's where something like EMDR would come into play. Uh, there are other uh, evidence-based approaches to dealing with trauma, um, somatic experiencing where we're dealing with what our body is telling us. Um, some of the... Um, some of the best research that's happened within the last five to seven years actually has to do with our heart uh, and our, our brain and how the two communicate to one another. And so if we can teach a person how to calm their body, because if I get anxious, if I'm, if I'm angry, if I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I can tell my brain all day long, calm down, calm down, calm down. It does not respond to verbal commands. But if I can change the way that I'm breathing and um, focus on my breath and just imagine, we are smart people here, we all know we breathe with our lungs, not with our heart, <laughs> but if you imagine taking a breath in and it goes into your heart, you couple with that as I'm breathing, I'm, I'm choosing a positive emotion. Um, I like to use one-syllable emotions, love, calm, peace, safe, those kinds of things. So I'm breathing that in uh, and imagining that going into my heart, uh, exhaling it, and as I exhale it, I envision the room around me being filled with that positive emotion. That gets the heart and the brain communicating effectively together. And the research is telling us that if we do this type of breathing, uh, three to five minutes a day, uh, then it has a, an impact of helping us to um, understand those triggers, uh, understand uh, why we feel that way uh, to the degree that now I can interact with it. And, and I can say, yeah, that did happen, um, but here's how I get out of this situation where I don't feel like I'm highly escalated emotionally and, and um, you know, melted into a puddle of tears as a result of that. The other thing, the most important, one of the most important, maybe the most important thing there is what I was saying before about what about those people who have a high number of ACEs, but yet they don't have those negative consequences? Relationship. That's the key to that. Whether that's a relationship with a therapist where mm -hmm. you're are able in a safe environment, knowing you can tell your story and they're bound legally not to repeat that to everybody they know, um, that can be really helpful. But sometimes it's a peer. Sometimes it's, it's um, you know, depending on your age, it might be a school teacher. I actually had a, uh, what did he teach? He taught, 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 he taught something I took. <laughs> 
goodness, I have forgotten what he taught. But it was one particular high school teacher uh, that he and I just hit it off. And there were times when we'd have some, some challenging conversations in the sense of, hey, this is, you know, this is going on. How, how do you think I should handle this? And his, his advice, I can still hear him, is, did you talk to your parents about this? No, because for me, no meant they're not really open mm -hmm. to talking about this. Uh, and so he just, he just, in an appropriate way, loved on me. He listened to me, he encouraged me. Uh, and so relationship, I think, is, is going to be one of the things that really helps us with this. Well, and I think I'd follow that up, too, with your, your first therapist, your first counselor, or your second, or your third, or in Amber's case, your sixth or seventh. Uh, she's very open about that. It may not be the right fit, or it may not be the fit for the time, mm -hmm. or they may not have the specialty. But, I mean, counselors are used to breakups and no callbacks. <laughs> it happens from yeah. time to time. But finding and building that relationship, like you said, and then understanding you do have the freedom to move on or ask them, hey, who can help me with this? Because they're professionals. Um, mm -hmm. And you may need somebody with a different specialty. That's why there's a connection right. and a network. Yeah, the thing, the thing to look for if you're, if you're searching the web looking for a counselor, the thing that you want to look for is trauma-informed care. And, and that's, a, that's a big deal right now. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the national level organizations are saying we, and we need more training in terms of how to deal with trauma. And there's some really good programs out there. Um, approaches differ one to another. Uh, but that's that's good because you know if many of my therapists uh, at Counseling Alliance are trained in two or three different forms of of working with trauma. So what works with one person may not work mm -hmm. with somebody else. So uh, looking for somebody that they're saying you know advanced training in some area of trauma, uh, EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, not the most user friendly name. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's been around for 40 plus years, and uh, you know that's that's the bread and butter of EMDR is to deal with trauma. So not new age then. It's 40 years old. You can't be really new agey, I guess. With that. <laughs> yes. So and on the and GraceStoryMinistries.com there is a counselor referral link that you can click on. It's anonymous. Goes right to our uh, our content strategy director, licensed counselor Ryan Waters, and he actually personally shops for a, uh, a, a counselor for you. Since last year's conference, uh, so just in one year's time, we've referred 100 people, a little bit more than 100 people, mm -hmm. to uh, personalized counselors. So take full advantage of that. We're, we're running out of time, but I do want to address one more thing here, and it's the, the topic of toxic stress. Um, and kind of what is that going to this ACE score and how can I get rid of it? What is toxic stress, and how can I get rid of it? Oh, there's a, and I'm sorry, you've probably heard this before, but uh, there's a, a, a tale that is told that uh, two young fish were swimming along in the ocean, having a good time. Uh, an older fish came swimming by and said, how's the water today, boys? And they swim along, and one of them turns to the other, what's water? <laughs> Sometimes we grow up in, live in, work in mm -hmm. environments that are so toxic in terms of the level of stress that we, um, we just assume it's normal. We acclimate ourselves to that, uh, not realizing that it's taking a toll on us every day, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, across the board. Uh, ongoing stress, uh, if you, and this is a very subjective measure, but if you just think about what's going on in your, in your life, what you feel in your body, uh, what your thought life is like, and if you rank that on a scale of zero to 100, with 100, 100 being I'm at my wits end in two, or, or one or two, zero, one or two, so I'm really, really low, it's like, man, this is so nice. It's so relaxing, and life is good. Uh, we can learn to kind of gauge that. Um, but the real problem of being in a toxic environment all, uh, often 
is that um, we begin thinking about ourselves, other people, life circumstances, uh, through that lens of stress. And so we develop what we call a reference point that um, I just, if I'm with this particular person, oh, I know this is going to be hard. This is going to be a, a difficult thing. Or if I'm in a job that's just highly stressful, every day we come home, we're bringing that stress back with us. It happens in the medical community. Mm -hmm. it, hap it happens in counselors. And I can tell you, it definitely happens with pastors. Yes. Uh, because they are dealing with so many different issues. Well, and they're on 24-7, too. Like, yeah. there's no time yeah. when that phone, it may ring. It, so it will ring. Middle yeah. of the night. Yeah. I've got up many times in the middle of the night to go to the hospital. But so on, even those situations where it may, it's part of my vocation, you know, I work in the ER, I'm a pastor, I'm on 24-7, still got to get all the stuff ready for Sunday. When am I going to take my Sabbath this week? So with all that, maybe I can't get out of the situation. Uh, how do I deal with, can I get rid of toxic stress? Is it manageable? What is that? This sounds like a whole other podcast, but it goes to the adult side of this. How do I manage that or get rid of it? Um, sometimes we have to make some tough choices. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is we may, we may have to look at what are the sources of stress in our lives. And um, a tough choice may mean I need to do some sort of intervention in this situation and address the issue in that relationship or whatever it may be. Um, if it's a job, I think, eh, maybe it's time that I look for another place of employment. Um, in, in a family, if, and it's not uncommon, and COVID has made this worse, if there's you know, perpetual stress within the home, um, finding, okay, who can support us? And so uh, we don't do a lot of this, but we, we do some, um, you know, whole families come in for counseling. And, and so it can be addressed as a unit rather than just the parents, uh, maybe just one parent or just the kids. Uh, so working with everyone in that family to help uh, find out what are the sources of stress and what can be done to alleviate some of that. Uh, developing our own resilience. And if you, if you just search resilience on in Google, uh, there are lots of places that talk about how to build resilience. And, and that helps us to manage this toxic stress that it really is. Um, it's all over, it's all around us. Really, really quick, I'm gonna tell a, probably TMI. Um, <laughs> Perfect, <laughs> we like that at Great Story. You like that, huh? So I had my nose broken three times when I was in high school. Um, once playing football, once on a motor, motorcycle accident, and once at halftime of a basketball game. <laughs> so, <laughs> figure out, how do you do that? Um, you, you see, you see the kids. You know, they come out after after the, the coach tells them what to do differently and such. And there's a little bit of a shoot around before the second half starts. So I'm standing there under the basket, and, and one of my other, you know, I was going to grab a ball, you know, go back a little bit, take another shot. Uh, the guy next to me jumped up to tip the ball and then brought his, elbow, or his arm back, and that bone caught me right on the nose. And um, that was the only time that when I had my nose broken that I had it set, which actually hurt more than being broken. <laughs> Uh, but I, I was getting um, sinus infections on a regular basis, about every 90 days. I could just about put it on the calendar and say, mm -hmm. no, I can't do anything that week, I'm going to be sick. Uh, and I went to the doctor and we tried different medications, we did allergy testing, we did all sorts of things. Finally, uh, we were living in North Carolina, we were pastoring, and um, he said, I don't, the only thing I know to do is uh, maybe get your nose fixed. Because what had happened is in those breaks, the cartilage had moved over. I could not breathe at all out of my left nostril. And so I went to uh, University of North Carolina Hospital. I met with the chair of the ENT department and he took a look at it and he said, um, wow, man, your nose has just quit working. 
And I said, no, this is good. I'm good today. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, your, your sinus system is so dysfunctional. You know, what you call a good day, many people are going to be home in bed. My body had acclimated itself to the dysfunction of my ability to breathe like a normal person would. We do that with stress. Uh, we do that with a lot of problems in our lives. We acclimate ourselves to that. And we just think, oh, this is my life at this point. You know, life can be really hectic. If you have two, if you have a two family, you know, two career family, you mm -hmm. have some children, you know, all that stuff going on. We're always on the go. There's always places to, the kids have to be here for this and there for that. And, and there's church and there's work and there's grocery shopping and there's lawn care and the list just never ends. And so we, you know, finding ways to be very intentional about stepping back from that and just blocking off. If you don't put it on your calendar, it won't happen. But if you put on the calendar an hour a day, say, this is my time, uh, and you're not being selfish, you're going to be healthier, the family's going to function more effectively, there's multiple benefits from that. And during that time, you do something simply for yourself, relaxing, renewing, re regenerating, you know, our, our relationship with God, or, or just go for a walk, just, you know, do something uh, to de-stress. Uh, so that's resilience building. So and you, you talk about this a lot in uh, your episode with us, episode 62, Vision Before Balance, Discovering Purpose and Clarity. So if you find yourself as dysfunctional as Dr. Barber's teenage nose, you know, that may be a good episode to go yep. listen to. So one thing I like to do as we're coming to the end of a, every episode is give you an opportunity as the guest to speak right to the listener, the audience, those that may be online uh, listening right now. Um, as we're going to the close, if there's something you want to leave them with, something that you've been dealing with lately or, or something inspirational from Dr. Barber, what would that be? I don't know. I'm so stressed right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're a normal human being. I'm a normal human being. You know, where, where things are f uh, for me at this point, I, I feel like I'm at a, at a, I'm approaching a transition. Okay. I don't, I have a date set, uh, but I'm 70 years old, uh, so I, I know that retirement's not too far away, and there are things that I want to do uh, in, in retirement, things I want to accomplish that I haven't had the time uh, to do so far. So, uh, you know, what, what I'm noticing in this um, is that you know, these were these were decisions that I should have made many, many years ago uh, in terms of what's important, how do I do the thing that's important more effectively, um, and um, kind of dropping off some things, reducing the, the load that I carry. Uh, just, it, it's, um, Unfortunately for me, it is um, coming way too late. Um, I mentioned my father. He worked, often worked overtime, did the farm. And when I, when I do talk a bit more in detail about my family of origin and my, my story, uh, one of the things that I said is that, that the... Um, Probably the mo one of the most important lessons I learned from my father is that I could work 60 hours a week and feel like I haven't done enough. Uh, so that, again, is that lesson learned as a child, as a youth, um, that ca has carried over. Uh, so I was not a great basketball player, but I was a decent basketball player who had the had the fortunate thing of playing in an area where there, there weren't many other decent basketball <laughs> players. Uh, and so there was one particular game. I got this just a completely unrealistic number of rebounds. I mean, it was just, I set a school record and was close to the state record. Um, 
Next day in practice, um, the coach said, looking straight at me, after having quoted how many rebounds I had and how many points I scored, anybody who had their hand on the ball that much should have scored more points. At 29 points, I remember that. I forget the exact number of the rebounds. Um, and that was, that was a day that uh, I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I, if I get five rebounds or I get 50 rebounds. It doesn't matter. It's never going to be enough. And so being able to look at our lives and, and look at those things that are continually taking from us and some of those messages of do more, do more, do more. Uh, we've got to let go of some of those things. Uh, it's, it will be better parents, we'll be better spouses, uh, we'll be better friends, we'll be better Christians uh, if we just begin to work to let some of these things go. You know, and a lot of that goes into boundaries. Um, Absolutely. And it sounds all good, but whenever one of those things that's pulling life from you is a relationship, and <laughs> you have to set that's that's some difficult stuff to do. But yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing from your heart and coming on this live podcast um, and being here at Great Story Conference today. Yeah. Thank you for the honor. And for all of you, you listening, thanks for listening in. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. Uh, so we hope that you'll come back and join in on the next episode. And until then, we'll be praying for you on your journey of restoration.